Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your illustrious, amazing host of Nonprofit on the Rocks. And with me, as always, not for much longer, is Ashley Watterson, who is our producer. How are you, Ashley? Not much longer. Is no. there is there news you're going to deliver to me about my exit that I don't I know about? I'm going to just tell you that that quality of production on your end is... <laughs> Is it I mean, lackluster? <laughs> is that what it is? You're the illustrious host of the lackluster show that I produce. No, actually, I'm going to say you've been doing really good because our interviews are just so fantastic. And it's not me, let's be honest. So <laughs> you're kicking ass. Yeah. Well, here's what I want to know. And we've talked about this before, but I want to know in the middle of this coming episode with Mark, do you think that we should just pause it? And I should come on as a commercial to be like, hey, this is the time that an advertiser would throw in cash to advertise their product. Anybody out there want to do it? Here is the time. I think there's something to that. I like that. So, you know, I used to work for NPR. And one thing I, I personally enjoyed doing, but as a listener, I know it's it's a real pain in the butt, is the the fundraising. One of the, the favorite gimmicks during the NPR pitch weeks, months, what have you, is okay, people, if you want this to end, you need to throw money. <laughs> uh, you know, we need to reach our goal. Folks, bear with me. I'm brainstorming like on the spot here. But Matt talks in this episode about his singing voice and how he has no singing voice. So maybe, Matt, you could just start singing. And then in order to, uh, to stop the singing, they have to throw money at us. So like in the middle of this episode, I should just come on and start singing and be like, if you don't want to hear me continue to sing, then like... <laughs> Some advertisers got to come on, right? Like, is that is that what we're saying? That's what I feel like, but I do realize that the flaw in my plan is that this works on live radio, mm-hmm. and this probably would be a flawed uh, effort in a in a show that people can just forward. So, on that note, uh, this episode coming up is with my friend Mark at Chrysalis, who's awesome. Anything you want to tell to the listeners for them to watch out for? Let's see. If you've been listening to our show, you are probably getting tired of Matt talking about how when he was 26, he ran a $5 million nonprofit, a homeless shelter in New York. But with this particular guest in this particular episode, that is extremely helpful in all seriousness. Matt and Mark have a wonderful conversation uh, ahead. You, You listeners are really in for a treat because... They really do know this topic inside and out. And I learned a ton in listening to it. And I'm excited for our listeners to learn a lot as well. Thank you. I heard that I've repeated myself many times about myself. But honestly, actually, like, what else am I going to talk about myself? There's only so many things that I can say before I run out of amazing things about myself, right? (laughs) Well, Matt, you could always talk about your dog sidekick again. (laughs) That dog sidekick, really. He's gotten a lot of airtime here. Alley Cats, again, if you're out there, I think you owe us at this point to be a sponsor. We must have thrown some business her way. Well, I want again to remind everybody to uh, look for advertisers to keep us going. If you like what you hear, and we've gotten better, Ashley. So on that note, do you have any final thoughts before we let these listeners stop having to listen to us? Again, to Matt's point, if you know of anyone who could be an advertiser, awesome. You can email me through our website, envisionnonprofit.com. You can find our web pages. You can find transcripts of the show. 
you can let us know that Matt is doing a terrible job and you would like to replace him, um, you could say, I want to hear more of that producer, honestly. No, no one, no one <laughs> you've already forwarded this part, Matt. They're already on the interview. No one's listening now. But anyway, um, yeah, you can find us on the web. And please, uh, if you haven't already subscribed to our show, tell your friends, get the word out, guys. Hello, Mark Moringer. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this Nonprofit on the Rocks evening. How are you? Hey, Matt. It is great to be with you. So first of all, I'm just looking at your picture right now on your Chris Lift, uh website. And I love that you're like leaned in with your hands clasped. It's such a great picture. I love everything about that picture. Um, and you are, by the way, the president and CEO of Chris Lift. And I kind of never understood the two titles. I've only ever been an executive director because I guess nobody thinks I'm good enough. So what's the two titles, president and CEO? You know, I think it relates to how big your ego is. And so clearly <laughs> I needed both. Now in uh, at Chrysalis, traditionally we've had kind of a corporate uh, officer structure. So there is the president and CEO and vice presidents, and that's just the way it is in our bylaws. Um, the, it's the same as an executive director title. We just happen to call it something different. So by, by the way, for anybody listening about what the word bylaws means, it is something nobody should ever listen to. You literally, if you want to fall asleep at night, you should read the bylaws of a nonprofit. It's just how it's supposed to operate. And like, wow, so boring, but important. I, really, I, I literally had to refer to our bylaws this afternoon for the first time in three years, but there was something that came up with the board and I actually needed to crack the dusty book that has our bylaws. Well, there you go. See, perfect time, perfect timing for tonight. So yeah. before we start, I see that you have a cocktail in your hand. What are you drinking? I am drinking a gin martini. I'm a purist. If you're going to drink a martini, it needs to be gin. I know you had a guest on earlier this fall, and she was talking about vodka. No, no. Gin, please. I love it. Shaken, love it. not stirred. I love it. That makes me so happy to hear. I, just so you know, I'm drinking a very, very pricey bottle of bourbon. I, uh, I just about placed somebody at a nonprofit as executive director. And as a thank you, he sent me this bottle of bourbon, um, which, by the way, if anybody's looking for a job, great idea. Great idea to, uh, to uh, you know, try and bribe the recruiters. Anyway, so it's a very strong mark. So I can't make any promises that I won't uh, get a little bit out of hand in a little bit. Um, but until then, cheers, my friend. Cheers. So you started in the for-profit world and uh, moved over into nonprofit. So can you tell folks a little bit about, you know, how that happened and why you went from a glamorous, you know, making millions of dollars a year in for-profit, of course, uh, moving over to nonprofit making peanuts? Perfect, uh, perfect story. It all lines up exactly as I had planned. Um, so I, I actually am an electrical engineer by training. Um, and my first job out of college was with IBM as an engineer. And I moved from California to upstate New York because the day I went there on the recruiting trip, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Small town, green, blue sky. Perfect. I got there in August to start the job and discovered, yeah, that was the one nice day a year. The rest of the year, it's cloudy. It's humid in the summer. It's cold in the winter. But I met a lot of great people there. and. Um, stayed there for about two years and then relocated to the Washington DC area um, to get into sales and marketing, 
where I really began to understand that I, I really like leading people and working with people and solving problems. And uh, stayed in the D.C. area for about eight years. And then uh, with my wife at the time, we moved back to California. And the deal was whoever got a job first, that's where we were going to land. Um, she's from Southern California. I'm from the Bay Area. Uh, I am talking to you from Southern California, which suggests she won. She got a job first. Uh, so that gave me an opportunity to become an entrepreneur. And I started a, a restaurant delivery service, kind of like Grubhub or DoorDash. But this is way before the technology or any of that stuff. Um, and so we started with uh, eight or nine restaurants in West LA. And then I ended up adding a business partner and we grew it to about 120 different restaurants throughout Southern California, wow. 50 drivers out on the road at any given time. And yeah, the stories I could tell. Um, but we ended up selling it to a competitor and we made some decent money, not enough money to retire, but enough to be able to sit back and kind of take stock. And what I decided was I, I wasn't ready to start another venture on my own again. Didn't want to go back to, into the corporate rat race. Um, I want to have a bigger impact. And so through some interesting network networking, somebody said, Hey, you should check this Crystal's place out. <clears throat> They're looking for an entrepreneur to run the social enterprises, somebody with business experience to, to come in. And I knew nothing about nonprofits. I knew nothing about what this social enterprise thing was. Um, but I took the job and I was hooked. It was the best decision I've ever made professionally. And by the way, we're all very lucky to have you. I'm happening right before the internet. So you could like, you know, be a billionaire and take me on your private jet to uh, a yacht in the Mediterranean. That's just my dream. I keep putting that out there. Somebody has to be rich enough to fly me on their own personal jet and take me to their yacht in the Mediterranean. I'm just putting that out there one more time. Um, but, uh, you know, was there anything you said you wanted to give back? So did you have any example as a kid or, I don't know, something that made you want to give back? Even Yeah, my, my parents were both um, really humble people that believed in community. Um, my dad was a blue-collar guy. He worked in the parts department at a car, car dealership his entire career. Uh, my mom was uh, a stay-at-home mom for many years and then a school teacher. Um, neither of them went to college, um, but they busted their butt for my brother and I, and they both got involved in any extracurricular activities we were involved or community type stuff. And they just made, really made an impression on both of us that um, it's about more than you. It's about the community um, and it's about helping your neighbor. And so there, that was that seed was planted and it didn't really flourish until I had a, a chance to take this opportunity. I'd always always done volunteer work or whatever, dabbled in it, um, but never seriously considered it until I got the chrysalis. But I, I definitely give my mom and dad a lot of credit for it. Yeah, that's great. That's I think most of us learn from our from our parents or our grandparents for sure. Um, so before we talk about chrysalis, and I know you're in the really heavily in the homeless world. If I handed you a check right now for $10 million, here you go, Mark, but you can't keep it. You have to give it away to a cause, any cause, not a, non not a specific nonprofit, but a cause. Where do you give it? That's a great question. I think in the time that we're in right now, we need to find ways to get our community positively engaged in our political processes whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's other equity and social justice movements, 
we need we need young people in particular to get engaged and get active. And I think we're in a better position for that in LA than a lot of parts of the country. But it really scares me what's going on nationally and um, misinformation, disinformation, people giving up because they've been jaded. We got to fix that because our, our democracy will not survive. So I think if I if I had that check, I would try to find a way to get citizens engaged in giving a shit and getting involved in um, in their community at the grassroots level all the way up to D.C. You know, I know that you're not busy enough with your 90 hour a day job, but uh, it sounds like something that you should maybe at some point start. We need something like that. So on your side, you know, on your volunteer well, side, you know, well, why not? Little, uh, little side hustle. Yeah, not, not as the kids say. You can do that. You can do that. No problem. So as the kids say, right? So you're in the homeless world. Um, if I am a 21-year-old and I'm out of college and I say to you, I want to be an executive director of a homeless shelter, right? And I know that's not what this is. And we can, like I said, talk about that in a minute. What would you tell me? Would you be like, get out of nonprofit, don't run a nonprofit shelter, you're crazy, or this is what you should do and this is how you should do it. What would you tell me? I'm a big believer in um, in asking the the why questions. Why do you want to do it? And and then taking it down the the, the next two, three, four, five levels, right? And um, if you've volunteered doing that kind of work, if you've been exposed to it, if you've um, done your homework, that's fantastic. Then pay your dues. Get in there. Be a case manager. Um, see what it's like to walk the shoes of, of the team that has to address the issues and, and work with the community. Um, you got to pay your dues. Um, I, I, I really appreciate um, folks that have been in our sector that have worked themselves up the, the ladder. And I know with my privilege, I did not do that. I came in at a management level, but um, staff members that we have that have started um, as a case manager and gone up to be a manager and then a director and then a vice president uh, to run part of our program, they've got a perspective that I will never have. And I know that helps them make better decisions and they're in the work for the right reasons. I ran a homeless shelter at 26. Some dumb, dumb person hired a 26 year old to run a $5 million homeless shelter. And I was that kid who was like, hey, like, I want to run a nonprofit. How do I do it? It is really spectacular. And I hope that people who listen to this, the five people who listen to it. And by the way, I can't promise you that we're going to be on to even get you on the air. So just, you know, FYI, this could just be a fun time for you to look at my face for now. I, I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes the other day, but yeah, only old people watch that show. But uh, James Corden, the, the guy that hosts the Late Late Show was on it. And they talked about how their whole strategy is nobody watches that show. Who, who's going to watch the show at 1230 at night, right? But they get tremendous views online and carpool karaoke is, you know, a huge thing that he does. So I figure that's what's going on here. Um, you know, it's all online these days and, uh, and th th we're going to have millions of followers. All right, fine. Listen, it's going to start with you. So like get your <laughs> word out there. Let's maybe do, then maybe, maybe let's do like a song and a, can you sing? Are you good at singing? That is not one of my talents. All right, well, then Sorry. There it goes. There goes that idea. Um, but I work. But I work with people that are good at it, so we can put a band together. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Chrysalis and what you guys do, and what is the proudest thing that you can say that you do at Chrysalis that people should know? Our our work at Chrysalis is focused on helping individuals that have experienced uh, barriers to employment 
get back on what we call the pathway to self-sufficiency by finding and, and most importantly, retaining uh, employment. We don't pretend that a job is the answer to everything. Uh, in fact, the work that we do with our clients touches on essentially all aspects of their life because that work has to be done in order to prepare them to, uh, to, to have a career. But we do know that the dignity of work, the income that it provides, the ability to have that pride and sense of purpose in life, at least in our culture, a job is a key part of that. It's not the only thing, but it's a really important part of it. And we have found over the years that folks that have experienced homelessness or had interactions with the criminal justice system, they're often overlooked. Uh, the traditional systems for getting people back to work don't serve them well. And that's why we exist. We are, we are helping fill that service gap, if you will. And I think that the thing I'm most proud of is we really work with every single client, even though we'll work with 4,500 clients this year, every single one of them is an individual. Every single one has their own story. They've got their own goals. They've got their own challenges. And my team has found ways and developed techniques and had the perseverance to, to help work with each of those clients to help them address what they want to do. Not what we think they should do, not what society thinks they should do, but what they feel they want and need to do, but maybe they just don't know how to go about doing it. But we do. We've, we've got some experience in helping them overcome those, those challenges. So, you know, I think everybody has their own idea and their own whatever they think homelessness is and how people become homeless. And there's guys on the side of the freeway who are asking for money and, you know, I need a job and they have that cardboard sign. Can you tell us just uh, maybe one story about one client that you had that you think uh, might resonate with folks? Yeah, this is this is a story I, I come back to often because I, I met I met him uh, early in my uh, in my time at Chrysalis. Um, I, I refer to him as DJ Mays. He has another name, but this is what he refers to himself as because his thing was he, he liked to be a DJ. So he came through our program. He worked in uh, one of our social enterprises and transitioned out to permanent employment working for Metro. He was doing bus cleaning cleaning work at night. But his real thing was he wanted to be a DJ. And over time, he saved up enough money to have a DJ set up, one, and then two, and then like three for him and a cousin and a brother or something like that. So he had a little business going. Um, and like it had been two years, and uh, he stopped by the office to say hello. <clears throat> and he looked me up and he said, hey, Mark, can you, can you hook me up with a, a certificate that shows that I completed the program? Sure. Happy to happy to help you with that. Why, why do you need it? Well, my mom's getting married this weekend and I don't have the kind of coin to get her a proper gift, but what I want to do is take the certificate and frame it and show her that I'm a different man today. And I really got my life going in the right direction. Wow. I mean, that's why we do what we do. It's not because he's getting a paycheck at Metro, which is great and benefits and all the rest of it, but it's because he can be part of his family now and he's got that respect. And that um, I think is the common denominator with all the folks that we serve. They, they're not looking for anybody to take care of them. They're, they don't want to be on welfare. They don't want public support. Um, they may need it to bridge to that next position, but they want to make their own way in life. They don't want to be dependent on people. Um, and uh, it's it's easy for us in pop culture and with the news and what we see just driving down the street to form uh, impressions about who our unhoused neighbors are or who somebody is that's getting released from prison. Um, I would encourage folks 
to maybe take a little time, pause and reflect, and maybe talk to some of those folks and find out what their stories are, because I guarantee they're, they're pretty darn compelling. Yeah. That's a, I love that story. It's a very cool story. We, you know, so I ran, like I said, I ran a homeless shelter in New Jersey and, um, every day people would ask me like, why do I do these folks don't deserve it. They obviously don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. Um, and that was actually part of our, our program was if you were going to stay at our shelter and we were going to give you a bed, you had to go work. And it was very challenging to find jobs because at that point the economy wasn't that great. This was very soon after 9-11. Um, but it really did open up my eyes to the world. And actually people always ask me, so I'm going to ask you, which is an unfair question. I'm driving off the freeway. I pull up. There's a, a woman on the side. And actually this happens every day when I go to the office. So a woman on the side with a cardboard sign, help me out. Um, I'm just looking for a dollar for food, whatever it is. What should I do? That is the, the billion dollar question, right? Um, we all face that, that dilemma every day, um, myself included. My, and I think it's a personal choice. My personal choice is I engage, I say hello, I smile, but I don't give out cash. Part of it is I just can't do that because I would be an easy mark. I'm downtown in Skid Row area every day. And if folks know, oh, here comes the guy that hands out the dollar bills, that, that wouldn't work. But I, I just am not comfortable doing it. But I don't criticize people that do. Um, you know, it's some of them, some of the stories probably are not exactly accurate. On the other hand, that person pretty much is going to be scrambling to get their next meal. So, you know, an extra buck or two so they can go to Jack in the Box. Probably not a bad thing. Yeah, I uh, I always tell people that instead of give the money to them, write a check to an organization like yours. Or well, thank you. I that's that's what I I would prefer, of course. Um, and we actually have these calls these cards uh, called want to work cards. They're they're like business cards, and we carry them. Donors carry them. Board members carry them. And you can hand that to somebody that says, hey, I I maybe maybe wrap up in a dollar bill if you want, but here's here's a place that can help you. And our program is completely voluntary. Nobody is forcing any of our clients to, to come here. And so um, if it's not the right fit for somebody, that's cool. They can, you know, go find another opportunity someplace. But we're there to help them if they want help. Well, if you do start giving out dollars to people, I'm going to follow you. So uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> See? Proves my point. <laughs> so, okay. So with COVID, um, things have been hard for everybody, right? And I can only imagine um, for you to find work for your folks must be impossible. How have you been able to, to find people work? What have you guys done with COVID? Yeah, I, to be honest, when, when everything started shutting down in the middle of March, um, I, I like everybody, I was panicking, everybody's panicking. We don't know what the world uh, pretends. In fact, I was in our downtown office yesterday and on the wall in a classroom was a sign. I had to take a picture of it. It said, um, we will be closed March 16th through 18th, but reopening on March 19th. Uh, you know, here's an email address to contact folks. And I thought, is that 2021? No, that was nine months ago. Well, that's crazy. So we had to flip our program to be completely virtual. And I had my doubts whether it was going to work. We're a place-based program. We got five offices. They're beautiful facilities. They're designed to have one-on-one -on -one case management services. How in the world are we gonna be able to do that remotely? My team figured it out. I mean, they just got really creative with technology, email, phone, uh, video, text, whatever we could figure it out, they figured it out. So we are now actively case managing 4,200 clients right now. 
and 850 of them, just since March, 850 of them have found employment. So my team has been smart enough to scope out what industries do need help right now, and let's redirect our attention there. Um, let's leverage employer relationships that we have in those relation in, in those industries, um, and it's working. You know, it's not working like it was this time last year, but it's helping a lot of people, and um, and we feel we feel pretty good about that. The other thing we've done is we've always treated the whole person, but we've been able through the generosity of our donors to build up a set of funds that can help our clients pay the rent, make sure they've got food, make sure their cell phone stays turned on. We've distributed, I think it's like close to $800,000 in cash, cash payments to clients or just paying their bills um, to help them stay whole during this time. That's not what we normally do, but it's what we had to do right now. And Thank goodness we had a lot of generous donors that, that helped us do that. And then staff that got really creative with how to distribute that. So, I mean, aside from COVID, because I think COVID just has exacerbated the issue, but in normal times, um, even then we had what, 80, 90, 70,000 homeless people in LA, which is yeah. insane. And, yeah. and you can't fix that problem. It's just impossible. You know, and every time that I go out, I mean, there are cities of, of homeless folks who are living underneath three-way overpasses. And I am no longer in that world. And I don't know what to do. If you had every dollar in the world, every resource in the world, whatever it took, what can help, like, if not end homelessness, because you can't ever end homelessness, but what can at least help it? Like, what do we do? Well, I, I think we we need to define terms. You're right. We will never end homelessness uh, completely, but what we can do is end chronic homelessness, which is defined as the long-term homeless folk. There are always going to be folks that fall on hard times and we need a safety net to catch them. Um, but once you're on the street for longer than, you know, 30 days, if you or I were on the street for 30 days, if I was on the street for a week, no doubt I would have mental health challenges and, and other problems, right? So the objective ought to be if if somebody is having an episode of, of homelessness, let's make it as short as possible. Um, and the only way to do that is to have a menu of options that can get people off the street. Permanent supportive housing has been the, the solution of choice. Um, and the idea behind it is you get somebody off the street, you give them a unit, you get them in that unit, you wrap services around them and they get better. And it may be that they have to stay there forever, or it may be they partner with Chrysalis and they get a job and then they move on to something else. The problem with permanent supportive housing is it's super expensive. It's just really expensive to provide the unit and the services. So we need other options. And there's a lot of creativity going on right now with um, the use of um, different formats of housing that's less expensive to produce maybe not as nice or maybe a little bit denser, but it, it still gets folks off the street. I, I personally, I'm a big believer in bridge housing, which is let's get somebody into a shelter like the one that you ran. Let's make sure they're safe. Let's make sure they're uh, physically and mentally getting the care they need. And let's do the case management work to get them back on their feet. In some cases, it may be reuniting them with their family where they came from. In other cases, it's helping them get a job. In other cases, it's moving them into permanent supportive housing. We need some kind of menu of options that we can present to folks because it can't be just about enforcement. You know, if you're a police department, you're going to arrest somebody and hold them in jail for 24 hours and then they're going to be right back out. That doesn't do anybody any good. 
At the same time, we have community standards and our parks are not campgrounds in urban areas. So we've, we've got to have options that you can present that say, I've got three things you can choose from, but one of them is not staying here tonight. But we can't do that right now because we don't have that many of options. We're getting better at it. And in fact, in COVID times, we've proven we can, hire, we can house a lot of people really quickly through Project Roomkey, uh, six or 7,000 people right here in LA County. That's fantastic. We've never housed that many people that quickly. So we can do it if we have the political will and if we can find the money to do it. But without those options, I don't know how we get out of those problems. I love that idea. I love that idea. I think somebody was talking about like, and I, I couldn't figure it out, but somebody was like, well, you have to like not allow people to be on the streets. And I was like, cool, but what are they, where do you go? And how do you enforce that? So I love the idea of having a menu of options. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, okay. So about running a, running a nonprofit, right? You run a very large nonprofit, got a lot of staff, you got a lot of clients to deal with the board. Um, what is the least favorite part of your job? Hmm. Okay. Like on a Saturday night, you're like, oh. <laughs> I got to be, I got to be careful about what I say uh, on this one because it's gonna, it's gonna piss somebody off. Look, I think the, the thing that I worry about is our, our organization has grown quite a bit over the years that I've been there, and I'm very proud of that. But I am also very conscious of sustainability, and every time you open a new office, like we did in Orange County two years ago, that's a million bucks a year. That's a million buck nut new, net new that I got to cover. Not me, my team has to cover, right? So I worry about, um, are we a flavor of the day? Um, what happens after I'm gone? Have we set up a structure so that the organization can sustain and continue the momentum um, forward? As a nonprofit executive, you are always, I don't want to say begging, but you're always pitching. You're always looking for money, right? That's a big part of our job. Um, and we're fortunate that we've got a very um, a, a great set of donors, but perfect example, COVID hits in the spring. We can't do our big fundraising event that we do every year, $1.56 million, boom, out of the budget. Where, where am I going to find that? Well, now we found out, we found a way to do it, but boy, that was super stressful. And to, to know that I've got the responsibility of 200 full-time staff members and 600 transitional employees counting on my team to make sure they have their livelihood. That's a lot of pressure. And it, it's just one of the games we play in nonprofits is we're always, nothing's long-term. Everything's year to year. January one comes around for us. Boom. Everything's zeroed out. Here we go again. So I like that game, but it stresses me out for sure. The, the, um, when I moved back to LA, I ran a homeless shelter for homeless youth in Hollywood. And um, I, when I took the job, I didn't know anything about what the situation was on the ground because the board didn't. And it was broken, like in every which way in the world. Like, so for the first payroll, not only could I not pay myself, but I had to actually put up the money to make payroll for my staff. That's a problem. That's, That's not really in your job description. <laughs> Um, and that job is the reason why I got out of nonprofit management is because it took me two years and with a lot of work and a lot of support turning that place around, but holy shit, like being an executive director of a nonprofit, everybody like, and I think people understand it was a terrible job. I think you have to be just a little bit crazy to want to run a nonprofit. So if you could, yeah, that's a great thing for you to say as a recruiter, Matt, right? That's, right. No, that's I know. a really <laughs> winning message. I do, by the way. I do. The very first question when we do recruiting, the very first question that we ask is, 
holy crap, why do you want to be an executive director or a CEO of a nonprofit? Can, can we swear on this? We can absolutely swear on this. Can I use the F word? I mean, I have. Okay. So when I'm interviewing from this job at Chrysalis, my, I wasn't hired into the CEO job. I was hired in to run the, the businesses and then got promoted a year later. But the longtime executive director, Adelaide Wertman, um, was leaving Chrysalis to go to work at USC as a professor. And so he was my last step in the interview process. So we go out someplace for coffee down the street and uh, we barely get through any pleasantries. And he says, why the fuck do you want to work here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how we do it. All right. Let's go. I mean, it's, it's, look, it's, um, I, since I've managed, since I've been in a big company, I've had my own thing in the for-profit for world. And now I'm doing this. This is so much more rewarding. It's so much more compelling of a pitch to make rather than talk to an investor for somebody in a food delivery, stupid thing. So I can get people their burritos on time. I'm talking about, you know, something that could be life-changing for people. People get that. People respond to that. So yes, there are stresses. Yes, there are sleepless nights, but it's totally worth it. And every, every day it's worth it. And by the way, people can't see it, but you've got a full head of hair. So <laughs> yeah, but it used to be, it used to be dark like yours. And uh, yeah, not so much. I, I had some empathy for Rudy the other day, you know, when you saw the Oh, yeah. hair dye coming down. <laughs> I, I never did that on my hair, but I did do that on my goatee once. Yeah, that didn't work so well. So mm -hmm. I do not recommend using Just For Men or whatever whatever he was using. You can't use Just For Men on your face. I will tell you, though, that you can do a lot of Botox on your face because that's what I do every day, mm. every month. You, you um, do not. I do. You like, do not. I do. Like, Seriously? I you get fillers? Here, here, here. This is how much I can move. Nobody can see it, but that's how much I can move my eyebrow. That's it. Like, there better not be any lines up there. There better not be any lines up there. And yes. Matt, what's what's that going to be like in 10 years? Your whole face is going to be frozen. You're going to be like George Hamilton. I told my doctor, I told my doctor this last time, I was like, I want to not move. I want to know. I just don't want anybody to know if I'm smiling or mad. Don't let my face move. Um, and by the way, it's actually really bad now wearing masks, right? Because you wear masks, so you can't see. That top and part. you can't, you, and you don't have any expression in your eyes. Yeah. Oh boy! <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's coming, but it's coming back to bite you that you got all that Botox. That's fine. I actually, you know what? I just bought, I bought a mask for myself that I don't know if I can wear. You tell me if I can wear. It's a pink mask, and it says in black writing in all caps, "Fuck this shit." Can I wear hmm. that? Is that okay? I wait? mean, I think uh, what you got to watch out for is. Uh, uh, what what was that that jacket that Melania wore that I I don't I don't care do you or something like that so you just got to make sure that the audience that is looking at it gets where you're coming from so like I wouldn't go to like a nursery school for example with the mask on but uh, maybe you might not maybe you don't go to Gelson's but you can go to Ralph's how's that <laughs> I'm gonna do that actually I'm gonna go to Gelson's for that reason and I'll let you know, I'll let you know how it goes. You know, uh, our audience outside Southern California may not know about Gelson's and Ralph's. We should probably be concerned about all the people that are listening to this in New York City. They don't know about <laughs> Gelson's and Ralph's. <laughs> I don't think, I'd like to believe that we've got like one or two listeners out there, but I, I am, I am going to interview two people in New York. So maybe, maybe they'll listen, maybe their family will listen, who knows? 
Listen, and they're, they're looking to re, uh, relocate to Southern California. No, 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 no. They've got great jobs out there. And I figured, hey, this is this is my my business hat on. I was like, well, if I interview people on the East Coast, maybe that will be helpful for getting clients on the East Coast. I don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. You should be sure to tell them what the weather is. It was 77 here today. 77 in LA, and, people. And it was snowing uh, in the East Coast today while we were, I was literally outside having lunch with my husband outside and we were just laughing and laughing at pictures of the snow on the East Coast. So yeah, no, I know. I know this is where people should live. This is where people should live, right? That's the way it is. <laughs> and not Northern California. So if there were any other job out there besides running Chrysalis that would make you happy, what do you think you would be doing? I think, um, I, I mean, I, I actually give a, a fair amount of thought to um, how my my tenure at Chrysalis has run a season, right? And I'm very happy with the job and I love it and all the rest of it. But, you know, look, there's going to come a time where there, there needs to be that next next level, next generational leadership uh, to take it to the next level. So um, trying to figure out what that next thing is for me. It's going to be hard to run, to find any nonprofit to run that's as much fun as I've had in this role. So I think it's probably more like uh, something in philanthropy, running a foundation or something like that, where I'm on the other side of the table. Rather than having to ask for money, I'm the one that gets to make the hard decisions about where to invest the money. I think I probably have a good sense of where it makes sense and maybe where it doesn't make sense. And that might be the the next for me. So, I don't think it'll be as much fun as what I do now. But Well, no. So, there, okay. So those people who, you know, don't own nonprofit who are listening to this foundations are where rich people, when rich people like, I don't know if they're, do they die or are they still alive, but they like give their money into an endowment. And then the foundation basically gives a percentage away every year, right? Are they dead when this happens? Are they alive? Yeah, sometimes they're still alive, but usually they're dead and their heirs have this huge pot of money and they create a foundation, they hire somebody to decide, here, tell us how to give this money away thoughtfully. So I have I have many friends in the foundation world, actually, um, because they like to drink and I like to drink. So we've done many happy hours together um, and many, many happy hours together. Those foundation people, let me tell you, Mark, they are, they can drink both of us. Well, they've got a big expense account. I mean, they got like billions of dollars in the bank. They do. And they are, I mean alcoholics but my point is um every single one of them that i know there they're not going anywhere it's the cushiest job they're making a ton of money basically just giving money out they're santa claus every day so uh good luck i really hope you can make it into a foundation because i kind of want to run a foundation too um but i we we, we could end up competing for the same job uh, you never know i feel like i'm a bigger drinker than you but i could be wrong and i think i think that, <laughs> i think if okay so if it's between you and me for a job at a foundation, what they should do is just see how, how much we can drink before one of us falls on the ground. I am just telling you, this is my foundation friends too. I, I, well, let me tell you, I have been uh, practicing that skill during COVID. Um, I, I think I'm accomplished. I, I think I've built up the muscle memory. Let's just say. What is let's, your- Let's just say Bedmo knows yeah. my address. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know. Actually, I, I was just, okay, so I was just on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, which I totally broke the rules for COVID, and I flew to Kentucky in October, and I did the whole Kentucky Bourbon Trail. There's a ton of other bourbons out there that I didn't know about because I've shopped at BevMo or Ralph's or supermarkets. I didn't know about all the other stuff out there, so it's been really bad for my liver. So I think we came back with like 20 bottles of booze. Stuck oh my gosh. How did and you, sh- you must have had it, you had to have that shipped or something, right? You nope. can't put that in your suitcase. Nope. nope, we put it in the suitcase and nobody was the wiser. So, you know, like they have those like diaper bags. I don't know if you know about this, but there are these diaper bags that you can, you uh, fill it up with air once you put the booze inside. And uh, we brought an extra suitcase for that reason. So uh, it was, <laughs> I'm embarrassed for myself, Mark, but my point is, I can get along with my foundation friends now and I know a lot more booze. So that is my story. <laughs> Fair enough. You, you're studying it. That's good. <laughs> okay. So last, last two questions. So I, I, I've been told I have to do lightning round questions at the end of this. Is there a way, can you tell if people like tune out in the middle of a show? Like, can you actually see if like they've listened and then they just basically like call it a day after like 10 minutes? I don't know if you can do it on a podcast. You can definitely do it on a Zoom, right? Because you see the attendee count go up and down. I we do this community broadcast thing, so I'm I'm obsessed with how many tune in at the beginning and how many are left at the end. Yeah, but I don't know on a podcast if you can do that. It's not great. I don't like looking at that. Just like I weigh myself every day, and I do not like. I oh, do not why do you do that? Why bother? That's a whole other podcast. On in terms of. <laughs> body issues and just you know that's a whole other podcast and I'm sorry this has nothing to do with our interview but I had like a normal scale not the digital one and it was great because it gave me a really good number every day and I decided because I'm an idiot for Black Friday I bought the digital one the digital one's very bad for an eating disorder so anybody who has one who's listening to me do not get one um if tonight was your final meal right and tomorrow we were electrocuting you in the chair because you stole that 10 million dollars from your organization um what would be your final meal? Um, well, since we're in the time of COVID, it's probably got to be delivery, which means <laughs> it's going to be uh, honey kettle chicken from Culver City. Honey kettle chicken. What it's makes- amazing crispy skin fried chicken with steak fries mm-hmm. and a side of pickles and honey mm-hmm. and a biscuit. That's in it. fact, I, I, I was looking in the refrigerator before this because I'm always thinking of my next meal. Honey, honey kettle may be what, what I'm going to order her tonight. You know what? I think, I think if this becomes a success, A, they need to advertise, and B, you should hit them up for donations right now because... Definitely. Just saying. Or, or, or at least jobs. They should hire some of our folks for sure. Yes. Always bringing it back to the nonprofit mark. Come on. <laughs> you know, come on. I, I know. I know. That's what we do. That's what we do. And then this question I also thought was really cool, and I've stolen it, and I, I really like it. Um, so if you could go to any museum in the world and you can steal any piece of anything, whatever it is, anywhere in the world, art, sculpture, whatever, musical instrument, what would you take? Wow. You know, I, I'm not a huge museum person, but I do really enjoy music. And so I think it would probably have to be someplace in like Memphis or New Orleans, and I don't know of a specific place that has a display of brass instruments, um, because I was a trumpet player back in high school and not that good at it, but enough to to be able to do it all through high school. 
um, some kind of brass instrument from a place in a jazz club or someplace that celebrates jazz. Cool. I like that. I like that a lot. We, um, one of my guests was the uh, executive director. I think she has two titles, but the executive director of the Wallace. Uh, her name is Rachel. She's awesome. And she would take this like one violin that I think was like a quarter of a million dollars or whatever, which was crazy to me. Crazy to me how expensive these things are. Crazy. It's a violin. Stradivarius um, violins are like, I don't get it. I mean, it's, it's a piece of wood and some string, but they are handcrafted and they've got that essence to it, something special. And musicians can really tell the difference. No, it's crazy. Um, well, so I hope for a few things. I hope that you could take over that foundation, but, but when you do I, and you abscond with all their money, I really want, I want that private jet. I want the yacht. I want all of it and the fried chicken all day long. So, okay. Yeah. Fried chicken on, on the yacht and the, uh, and the jet. I mean, I have to put my plug in for, uh, below deck, the mm -hmm. best show on television on Bravo, no doubt. Uh, last night's episode was a little disappointing, but overall, I think it is a uh, fantastic example of cinematic excellence. <laughs> below deck. Is that your guilty pleasure during COVID? Is below oh, deck? Oh, totally. Below deck. Below awesome. and married at first sight. Married at first sight. I got sucked in. I thought it was stupid, ridiculous, but after watching a season of it, it's like I. It's a train wreck. You gotta. You just gotta see what happens next. At first, I thought I thought better of you. Like, like I don't know, The Crown or like I don't. Oh know. yes, The Crown is very nice. The Queen's Gambit. Oh yes, so highbrow. Yes, <laughs> very nice. I've watched them all, but you know, I'm gonna prioritize Below Deck when it comes on Monday night for sure over any other new episode. Well, I hope that at some point we can have Andy. Um, you know, the producer. Andy Cohen. Uh, yes, Andy Cohen. Where he and I are on a one, on a first name basis. Um, so Andy, listen to this and maybe, just maybe, he'll pick up this show and uh, we can make so much money that we can actually start a foundation and then you can run it. And that's it. It's done. Okay, fair uh, enough. And it's done. I have our plan. All right, my friend. Well, we'll I... sign off on it. Yeah, I finished my booth. So I hope that I was okay at the end of this. And, and I did mine. I'll let me take my last sip. Yeah, right. So cheers to, what do you want to cheers to for 2021? Aside from obviously COVID going away, which is what we all want. What do you want to cheers to? What do you want? Let's, let's cheers to a world that returns to some sense of sanity and, and actually caring about each other. That would be a really nice thing. I love that. Okay. To caring about each other, Mark, thank you so much. If people want to give to Chrysalis, where can they go? They can go online at changelives.org. That is uh, where they can come to help us. I love that. Change lives. And that's what you're doing. Well, thank you very much for you and your team and the amazing organization and all of the donors and all of the folks who employ your, your, your clients. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So have I told you lately that I was the executive director of a homeless shelter when I was 26 <laughs> and it was a $5 million nonprofit and they should never have hired me because I lied on my resume? Have I told you that lately? I seriously haven't heard that in the last five minutes. So no, right? In the last five minutes, you haven't heard that, right? <laughs>
I just feel like people need to understand yet again, as we talked about, I don't have much else to talk about. So it's, you know, they're just going to continue to hear stories, stories like that. Matt, the world needs to open up simply so you can get more stories. Oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) We apologize to our listeners for Matt's repetition of material. We promise to get him out more. So in future episodes, there will be new things to talk about other than Botox, his running a homeless shelter, and dog psychics. I'm not making any of those promises. Oh, and also your mediocre production skills. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Please, like let's stop that. talking about that. We do. We do. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that at the beginning. I apologize, Ashley. I shouldn't have said that at the beginning. Okay, well, on that note, um, I want to talk about our next show because I think it's it's really inspiring and also... Um, just such a cool nonprofit. And what this guy did is spectacular. So his name is Nick Arquette. He, he is part of the Arquette family. And we do talk about that. And the organization's name is Walk With Sally. He lost his mom to cancer when he was young, very young, and started this organization for kids who are going through that right now. It is a very heavy topic. And he is just absolutely spectacular and strong. And I really, really enjoyed talking to him. I'm excited about this episode too, Matt. And I think that it'll be interesting to watch your deftness as you go from what we're used to seeing from you with your kind of funnier, sillier side to talking about things. And that's something I really appreciate about you, Matt, in honesty, um, your ability to foray into more serious topics. And I think this one is going to be a great interview. I mean, I hope everybody heard you're totally blowing hot air up my ass. We all know it. You know it. You just need the show to keep going. As we've talked about a hundred times, you don't, you don't listen. Matt, I tried to read the cue card, okay? I thought that's what you told me to say, but it does, it comes across disingenuous. I can't do it. If you are listening, I'm going to say it one more time. Advertising. Advertisement, advertisement, advertisement. <laughs> keep Ashley going. <laughs> and again, if you want us to stop ringing the advertising bell, just, you know, get us an advertiser and we'll stop talking about it. How hard could it be? I mean, really, how hard could it be? Well, on that note, are there any final words of wisdom, advice, uh, happiness, goodness, uh, upliftingness that you can share with our maybe one or two listeners who are left? Get the vaccine, folks. That's not fun. What else you got? (laughs) That's my PSA. I've got, I've got nothing, Matt. You've imbibed our listeners with all <laughs> the goodness that they can handle. So I will just remind them to please subscribe and listen for our next episode with Nick. Bye.